gaggle of geese. More fun than a room full of wombats. Able to reach huge audiences with a single broadcast. Yes, it's the Outdoor Journal Radio Show. And now, another exciting episode in the adventures of Outdoor Journal Radio. Well, howdy, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Angelo Viola. He is the Peter Bowman. Howdy, the everybody. And, and Angelo. Howdy. Howdy. The Bow Rod. The Bow Rod. Came up back to get uh, that Napanee. I got that nickname of Napanee from my buddy JB. I don't know how he came up with it. He just one day, he just said, we're up working out in the Universal Machine. And he says, hey, Bow Rod. What I said, the what the hell, hell is that? He says, well, you like to hunt, so we're going to bow and arrow. And you like fish, and you like a fishing rod. He says, you're, oh, I thought you're the bow, bow rod. I thought the bow was bow of the bowman. Bow, no, he, he put it See, as the, the hunting and fishing that. of it. Yeah. Uh, as well as the usual cast of characters, uh, Vova, Nick, and Dean. Come on now. Making all of this wonderful magic appear every week. Give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Uh, wonderful program today. Uh, just, uh, um, just to sort of give you the main subject matter later on we'll be joined by a good friend of ours his name is ted putnam and he owns what might be handsome look at him he's oh he is a devil isn't he something else debonair as well um what uh, could arguably i don't know whether it's arguable or not i guess somebody will argue with it it could be the best small lake walleye fishing factory on the planet yeah hawk lake yeah could be the reason he's on the program today is because uh, episode 102 that we produced a few weeks ago uh, that some of you hopefully have listened to already. If not, I urge you to go back to it. Uh, we had a special guest by the name of Paul Radomsky on. He was a, he's, he not was, he still is a scientist, biologist, doctor of fish, whatever you want to call him, who wrote a fascinating <laughs> book doctor called. Doctor of fish, I love it. Uh, he's a fishologist, man. <laughs> doctor of um, fish. Uh, that uh, wrote a book called uh, uh, Walleye, Walleye, A Beautiful Fish of the Dark. And he was on the program and we talked about what went into publishing this book, writing it and all the uh, different uh, things about it. And he, ta- he he came up with some stuff. He told us and we were both in shock. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that was the uh, his philosophy on fish management. And. That's well and good, but uh, a few weeks later, after it it actually went up or dropped, I guess they call it they call that dropping, don't they, Dean? Yeah, it's called a drop. Called a drop. That's what the kids call it. Now I'm going to start calling it drop. The kids. I want to be cool. The kids call it drop. I want to. So when it dropped, uh, our good friend Ted Putnam uh, responded to it immediately and said, "Holy smokes, where did you find this character?" Because uh, Ted has. Some great practical experience, some, I don't know, 10, 12, He's 15 probably years. probably got more practical experience not being a biologist, but just in the in the field than anybody, probably. Because yeah. he's got one subject area and one subject fish. You know what I mean? Boom. And he had some things to dispute about uh, this book. And he went, by the way, he bought the book and read it later on and uh, said to me, wow, what a fascinating gentleman. This guy was. Anyways, he's going to be on the program a little later on, joining us to talk to us about uh, what he's going to dispute about that wonderful publication. It's, stick around for this one, people, because it's probably, Ted is very knowledgeable, and it's about walleye, and it's about big walleye. We all like to learn yeah. about that. So, And he takes no prisoners, just no. so that you're... No, he's good. Know. He's good. Uh, Fishing Canada television show. The Woo-hoo! new season is nicely underway. Season 38. Come on now. I was watching Come on now. an interview uh, program 
recently and um the main host of the show was talking to the guest and the guest was a uh, actor who had been doing um uh, series a series on television and they were uh, talking about the fact that that they had just produced their 250th episode and i thought holy smokes that's a lot of programming 250 and then you looked into our archives and, I, and, it, and our it, it obviously prompted me to think well you idiot like you guys have done over 600 <laughs> You know, and and not is that even, what we are over six hundred. Yeah, six. Oh my 630 god! Six thirty, some some odd. Holy! And that's not counting ODJ episodes. Wow! That's FNC yeah, only. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why that's we insane. are now old. Oh yeah. Or we look old. We're yeah. actually in middle age. The two of us. We're twenty two. Each. Yeah. It's a hard life. It's a hard life. All that sun <laughs> on the face. You can see the redness all over. It's a, she's a tough one, folks. A lot of whiskey at nights, you know. And oh, there's a few of those. Smoking Un- cigarettes and coughing and wheezing. We asked. Uh, <laughs> we don't we, smoke cigarettes, everybody. We asked. No. <laughs> stop it. We asked a few. Uh, we asked you uh, if you've been watching the new season, which just premiered in uh, January of this year. And if you noticed anything new, different, um, likes, dislikes, and uh, let us know. Let us know what you think. Yeah, I don't think we've heard episodes. anything yet, have we? Has I don't anybody know. responded? Has anybody? I've heard a lot from, like, people who I know who, who have watched it, and they'd love it. Right, but yeah. nobody's actually written into it uh, to us. There's some there's some stuff on YouTube I can pull up, like yeah. all the comments and stuff. People are really I, liking it. I would like to know. I would like to hear from you, if possible, just to give us your opinion on... Um, some of the things that have changed on the on the show. Let us know what you think. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the look of it. I've been I watching them. I mean, you and I. You got to remember, folks. Here, sitting sitting here in this office before it even hits the airwaves, Ange and I, and Dean to an extent, Volvo for sure. We see it so many oh times. Just god. like, oh my god, over and over, <laughs> looking for this, looking for that, and you know what I mean, and, and try to get it perfect. And then, but even then, I watch it at home on the on the big TV, and it looks. I just it looks so good on a TV like that. I just watched. <laughs> I just watched the the episode you and Steve did. Yeah, that was on the weekend. It was just on this, this was weekend, this weekend. weekend. Yeah, and you know, like you said, I mean, we we we've seen it a million times in the post production period. Yeah, totally different show when you when I watched it this weekend. Yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Yeah, it's neat. To see and not that, that I didn't like it before, but like you guys took me on this great adventure, and 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 like I I felt your pain when when I needed to, and you made it. It was perfect. I love the show. I love that episode. Yeah. So let us know. Let us know what you think uh, as well. Uh, Fish in Canada, the store, free shipping still. Holy Hello. Smokes. Look at that <sighs> stuff, eh? I never know which way to turn. How's that? Outdoor Journal, and we have. This is these are hoodies. There's there's sweatshirts. There's t-shirts. There's pants, sweatpants, toques. I mean, there's. How about all the plaid? Is the plaid available yet? Plaid, with the, with the I, logo well, I know or? it's here. I, I just don't know whether it's not up. I, I'm almost afraid to say it's up on the store because I, got, I don't yeah. know. I got. You. I know I exactly know. where you're sitting in this situation. I don't know. Uh, okay, enough said. People enough far said. more intelligent than me should be. Answering those questions. <laughs> I thought you were going to be saying running the show. <laughs> well, there's that too. There's that too. I want to thank everybody, by the way, for uh, making uh, of this Outdoor Journal uh, podcast what it is today. It's it's a highly uh, um, 
I, for the life of me, I don't know why. A highly respected uh, outdoor product, uh, very well received, highly recognized, and we owe it all to you for making that happen because if we didn't have people downloading it and liking it and what else do they do dean uh, help me on this they one. subscribe to it subscribe they, to they, it. they put it on their instagram and in that too they do that yeah, yeah. and it builds and in our ratings right because we're does. getting it up there really like number two there to the to the meat eater that's yeah. pretty damn good yeah in a short yeah. time that we've done this so yeah. so i want to thank all of you for making that happen because like i said without you <laughs> we would be still i don't know pumping gas at the local Shell station. Did you do that? Aside from your dad's garage, did you ever pump gas anywhere else, like for a job? Yeah, DX oil. DX oil. Do you even know what that that is? No, DX oil was on um, um, Highway Two, just Hmm. before you get into town here. Okay. Uh, What's there now? It's gone, but I think uh, coffee. Plaza with a big coffee shop is in there now. Mm. But I used to be DX Oil, and uh, I worked there for for probably I don't know till they caught on to me and fired me. <laughs> uh, probably for half a but, year putting gas in your own car. Well, there was a bit of that too. I have to be honest. You know, Jerry like, listen, cans. You're young. Just leaving with Jerry cans <laughs> at night. <laughs> hey, who is that guy? <laughs> I don't want to get in that, just in case uh, the folks funny. from that company are still exact alive. DX, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listener feedback, Mr. Bowman. Listener feedback comes from at Mitch C5538 via YouTube. In response to episode 103, are warm winters hurting our fisheries? So we did that in episode 103 of Outdoor Journal podcast. And uh, Mitch's thought was, I think the gradual warming could hurt rivers and lakes in the southern U.S., but might benefit northern lakes and rivers, at least for bass. They grow better in warmer water. I mean, you can't dispute that, what he's saying, Well, right? certainly a largemouth. I don't know whether I'd agree with that for smallmouth. Right. Right? Because I right. think they may be affected. Largemouth, and he's talking as if he is in the U.S. Um, he's talking about rivers, in, in, rivers and lakes in the southern U.S. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming it could that. hurt gradual warming yeah. could hurt the rivers yeah. and lakes because yeah because the southern U.S. obviously right. being Florida Texas northern et cetera, lakes et and rivers at least uh, for bass they grow better in warmer water so he's talking he's talking largemouth yeah he's talking bass for nothing sure. could be wor- farther from the truth for sm- smallmouth in mm-hmm. fact that mm-hmm. would probably be any of the rivers that we've got and by the way here's a here's something uh, if you live in southern Ontario and you're you're um, near any pretty much any tributary that dumps into uh lake ontario um or any i think any of the great lakes you probably aren't aware of the fact unless you live on one of those rivers or tributaries that most of them have a great population of smallmouth bass Mm -hmm. the very few people fish yep and it's a great place to go with kids and and have them uh, you know, indoctrinate them into fishing by having them catch their first smallmouth. Right. Because I, I can't think of a better fish that a kid could catch for the first time and get totally hooked yeah. on this thing we call In fishing. In a river off the shore. Yeah. With a bit of current to yeah. help that smallie. Yeah. You know, it's great. Uh, a great smallmouth river is the uh, the Saugeen. Oh my, my god! God, I did that boat trip with there one time. I think it was, it was unreal. I Any just of did them. A, a rowboat ride, and it was just on. It was insane. Yeah. Any of these the, rivers. These uh, you got to remember too. Um, he's talking about the southern. See, when he talks about go back to largemouth bass, they're very adaptable creatures. Mm-hmm. So, Ange and I have fished 
as far south as Mexico for largemouth. And I'll tell you what, that water down there is pea soup almost all the time. So in the 80s, we were there and the water temperatures were in the 80s. These largemouth had no problem living no. in that. That's you what move I say. A little farther north, like Texas. They get warm waters, but they get waters in the 40s, too. You know, it comes, yeah. comes wintertime, and the, and the temperatures drop around the areas and all that stuff. The largemouth, there adapt. Florida? Florida, the same thing. Go all the way up to Kenora, Lake of the Woods. Yeah. Is, right now, that water is 32, 33 degrees. They're living in that, and then it goes to the 70s in the summer. So they're a very adaptable creature, a largemouth bass. But, yeah. but, but I said about the smallmouth, you know, that might be a little different of a story. They can handle it, too, but not, maybe not as well. Trout, ugh, that warming on trout, not good at all, right? So... No, and there's, there's species that do well, species that don't. Yeah. I, I yeah. think uh, we ought to ask Ted that question. If he, you know, he's in northwestern Ontario, cold water fishery, predominantly cold water. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ask him if I can remember if he, if he has any concerns or if he's noticed any change in his fishery right. due to, you know, climate change or yeah, temperature change. Yeah, because he change. keeps track of a lot of stuff, so yeah. that'll be a yeah. good one, yeah. Yeah. Uh, am I wrong here, Dean, in saying uh, that we're a little out of, uh, out of, sync on these scripts this uh, this wonderful day why is that well because we just did the listener feedback and now we're going to go back to uh podcast highlights and then we're going to go back to fishing canada news i think that's how we do things yeah i normally think we do the pod uh, the uh Feedback portion. Why, why are you disagreeing with Dean? You I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying. I, hey, listen, you're challenging you know Dean. You're we challenging have the Dean. tape. I, 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 yeah. We'll I go back and check the tape. I got a feeling that uh, Dino Dino just copies and pastes. Just has that. Yeah, I do. Out and <laughs> in. Out you. and in. Out and that in. That is totally unusual. But anyways, uh, <laughs> podcast network highlights because you know we have a podcast network. Come on now. Well, come on now. For those of you who didn't know, wow. you now know. Um. And uh, the highlight this uh, week is the uh, Ugly Pike podcast, which if you're not listening to it, you're really not into big predator fishing, whether Correct. it's pike or, or musky. It's mostly musky, but they do everything. Yeah. They do everything. Uh, the episode uh, this week is episode uh, 63 and 4. 163, 164. Well, I meant that. Yeah. People knew that. Okay. That's that's a given. It's just a number, right? Who cares about it? uh, As if they're going to go search for... Exactly. They're going to go search for Marlon Prince. Correct. Who is uh, a guest on that two episodes, by the way. Two episodes. Uh, Marlon Prince, uh, a good friend of ours that we fished with in New Brunswick, uh, musky angler. Hey, look at that good looking guy. Oh, he's got a green bass there. What is that? That's a Look at the color of that sucker. Oh, man. Those are... Those are different, eh? Those fish down there. They are. <gasps> Look at the belly on that. That yeah, is a New Brunswick muscalons yeah. right there, folks, and they get big. Anyways, a, sure. a fascinating episode on Ugly Pike featuring Marlon Prince, who helped us shoot those episodes. Marlon uh, is, a, is a very deadly stick out there, that's oh for sure. Boy. He knows his stuff on the muskies. Hey, fishes do. Okay. <laughs> that's right. Deadly he, stick. I went to the bar, and I'll tell you, I found out he had a whole other side there with okay. that. Marlon, with that deadly, deadly stick work exactly. of his, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways. I got um, a dead stick. <laughs> he dead, senor. Oh, my. Maybe you wanted to explain to folks what he dead, senor means. I don't understand no? your oh, Spanish, okay. my friend. All right. Lo comprende. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he talks about the politics of musky fishing, especially as it pertains to the eastern part of the country. And there's that, a lot of it there. And there's a lot oh of politics my God. going on. You'd, it ain't good. Mind-blowing. It ain't it's good. a great interview. You want to check it out. Ugly Pike Broadcast, episodes one 
63 and 164 featuring Marlon Prince. Come on now. Indeed. Carry on. Do we want to do uh, both stories here quickly? I don't know. It's all out of order to me. We got a couple of news stories today. And this one is, uh, I'm not comfortable with it, but I'll do what Dean makes us do, right? He's the boss, right? So this this is a weird news story. This is one of the stripe, is titled Stripe Bass Given Cataract Surgery Live Longer. So first of all, somebody had to think this up. Exactly. Somebody... And you know, and you know, we've come up with you got good eyes. We've come up with, uh, especially walleye. In fact, that episode that you and Steve uh, produced that aired this weekend they showed on one with the, the Fishing eye. Canada Network, coast to coast global television network, eight a.m. And it's available now on YouTube come on as now. well. That episode that Angelo's talking and about, Sportsman's Channel, as well as WFN. But anyways, that particular channel, you guys caught a walleye that could have used this surgery. Because it had like an opaque yeah. coating on it. We, we guessed it was blind in the eye, but maybe it yeah. was just, you know, maybe it just had a cataract in it. Maybe, I don't know what it was. But now, for the life of me, we won't get into this story, but for the life of both of us, when we first saw this, we thought, what, what kind of group, what kind of funding does it take to get the biologists to work on cataracts on striped bass? Like, why? Okay, so the only thing that would make sense to me, the only, and it's not here, so I, but I've got to say, the only thing that would make sense to me is that maybe they're using fish. It wasn't just stripers either. It says, no, it's uh, just Including fish. striped bass. Yeah, including okay, striped bass. fish. Okay. Um, it's a fascinating story, by the way. It's a great read. You, you need to go to fishingcanada.com and check this out in the news section. But the only thing that would make sense to me is that they're using this research to help them better understand the whole cataract surgery thing as it applies to humans. Ah, guinea pigs, a rat, well, a rat lab, saying, sort of speaking. Sort of. Uh, wow. but, but, but otherwise, like, how, Unless, how like, would you like apply says, this? How would you apply this to fish? They were all 10 years, uh, over 10 years old. So depending on how long a striper lives. If a striper lives for 20 years and she is a prime spawner at 10 or 11, and that their eyesight helps them, maybe? That might be the only thing I could think of. Like, you know what I mean? Like, otherwise, <laughs> is, why? It's ridiculous. I don't know. It's That's ridiculous. A good one. And, and with all due respect to the folks who were in this, I, I'm sure that you you worked hard. Uh, what's the, Dr. Claire Verneau Grosset, <laughs> uh, professor <laughs> of uh, zoological medicine at the uh, Faculty of Veterinary Medicine at University... Oh, you're at University de Montreal. Okay, I get it. <laughs> no, no, not said. Not so said. their results show not that said. 73% of the operated fish resumed feeding, regained normal body condition, and appeared clinically normal. The median survival time was around one year, which is posit- a positive outcome for fish of this age, she said. <sighs> Any input, Dean, on this one? I don't know uh, who put the money towards it. It seems strange to me. And they only lived one year. It said the average fish lived one year. So I don't know if the median survival time was around one year. Okay. That doesn't bother me as much as if you're doing this for fish, which I don't think they are, but if it is intended as, as a program that will enhance the uh, quality of life for fish as they get on, at age, like that just does not make sense to no. me. No, but it also doesn't, doesn't make sense to me that why would you use fish 
to study for a human problem. Because maybe there's something similar between. Yeah, well, you'd think that maybe it'd be a, a mammal versus a, a fish, like somebody that there's something that has air, lives in the air and the atmosphere versus under the water. I, I don't, don't know. know. Fascinating story. If you like these funky stories, uh, you got to read this We're one. We're full it's, of uh, funk, that's oh, for sure. Oh, <laughs> boy. It's, it's on fishingcanada.com, the news uh, section. Yes, sir. Of it. Uh, also in news, uh, Maine study concludes. What is this? All all weird. He, he gave us a couple of stories today. In case so, he said, I don't know which said, ones you'd like. He oh, said, yeah, I love that. them all, buddy. <laughs> uh, Maine study concludes that fish are shrinking. I know I'm shrinking, and I was never big to begin with. I was shrunk, and I'm shrinking more. Damn. Nobody's, nobody's studying that shit, are they? They're f- shrinking, Peter. Fish apparently are well, shrinking. Well, you and I, we've noticed that okay. a lot. Everyone we catch seems to be getting smaller. We can't catch a two-pound bass anymore. Damn it. It's part of an international project uh, with 16 other research centers. Okay. Uh, this particular one is out of the Maine uh, Ecology... It's University of Maine Ecology Professor Brian McGill. He helped uh, do this study. And they analyzed the body size trends of numerous plants and animals worldwide from 1960 to 2020 using data from the Biotime database. And they have concluded, ladies and gentlemen... Fish are shrinking. There. Oh, my. Again, I have to ask, like, as our previous one is, why? Why Why are they? Because I, I guess, they need. Look, hey, all right. For, somebody, somebody has been collecting data from 1960 to 2020. Otherwise, they couldn't have done this research. Somebody yeah. had to be collecting yeah. this stuff. So whoever collected this stuff. Was getting paid. Somebody paid them to collect this. This doesn't fall out, out of trees. So there's a data center that's got all this information. So now we 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 have another group, and by the way, they're all over the world, um, who's getting paid to collect all this data and come up with the fact that fish are shrinking. So they're trying to find out why, so that they can com- combat that. I'm assuming, so that we can't have fish shrinking. We need fish growing. Oh, I see what you're saying. So maybe, maybe there's this. Okay, so the silver lining to this is once it's all done and tabulated, um, we need to uh, now we're going to do a a study on why inject our bait fish with super proteins that uh, that ultimately build these big Uh, muscular like that. (laughs) There's nothing big and muscular in that entire picture. I'm going to tell you that right now. Oh my God! I tell you, there that's is. a shrinking fish. By the way, that fish is good, reappear, reappearing in another episode this year. That little How for those listening, that, those people walleye. listening, the, that's a picture of a walleye that I caught on KB Lake. It's about two inches, two inches long, maybe three yeah. inches long, something like that. That would be fresh out of the womb, wouldn't it be? <laughs> Pretty much. <We> should. <laughs> I got him. I, I got him. I need to drink that. Uh, no, that's 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 that year fish for sure. You know that same year I got do, that in uh, July or whatever. Our guest is coming on. He'll know a thing or two about those. I'll we'll have to ask him about yeah that size of fish. He yeah, those all good things. Um. Yeah. I, anyways, I don't I, think his fish are shrinking. We'll find that out too. Well, they're not definitely thing. not shrinking, which right. is which is you know something he might want to dispute this story. I don't know. Ted's good at that stuff. See, now we go to the fan question, which normally that makes sense now, but but it would be fan question along with uh, the other one that we did earlier on. 
with the, the fans. Comment, the, the comments. The comments. We YouTube do them all. Anyways, uh, fan question this week. From, this, uh, you want me to know? Yeah. Sure, go ahead. Comes from Stephen Anastasi. Is that right, Dench? Anastasi? Anastasi. From Ontario via email. Uh, yep. Info at fishincanada.com yep. or Facebook or Instagram if you want to do it that way. Yep. But what is the worst injury you have sustained while on location shooting a show? Whoa, great question. I know yours. I think I know yours already. Um, my, I don't think I can't outdo yours. That's for sure. I can't outdo yours. I'm say I've had a I've had a couple of them actually. I've had a few. Um, What's yours? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Not an injury, but a mishap that, that, that we had bee? one day. Oh, that bee in a, in a tournament. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Was bad. Take, a bee stung my ring finger. Yeah, yeah, a bee stung my ring finger, and it swelled up cut, so bad. They, they tried cut? to cut the ring. It still got the cut mark on it. She, the girl oh. in there, she was on on her last five minutes of her shift and pissed off that I came in there. So she was digging. She was trying to break that ring off my finger, let alone saw it through. She was like, "I got to go home." <laughs> French girl. She was friggin' funny, and I was sweating like a pig. But but my my the reason I went in, they said my my finger was. Swelling on both sides of the ring, get bigger and bigger and bigger, and the ring wasn't doing anything. Oh, by the so, way, tell folks why you were swell, swollen. Stung by a, a white jacket, a, a white, white jacket, jacket. Uh, wasp or hornet, whatever they called. So that was. And you uh, had reached into a, reached in my, a, uh, our bag, a, but it was a backpack we had underneath, and I thought a fish hook stuck me. I thought, geez, Angie got stuck by a hook. Then all of a sudden, this guy starts crawling around. He says, "Oh my God, I got stung!" And then all of a sudden, she just went for a, a shit. Oh, like there was no. It was brutal. Like it was. I I thought it was going to explode. <laughs> yeah, it did look like it was. Gonna explode for sure but and then eventually she tried so, so you got to picture this you got the little hand saw it's a tiny little skill saw that you turn by hand it's like a little wind-up clock it's the most insane thing and they have a hook on that goes underneath the ring so this is why your hands all swollen up and sore and they get it underneath there and she's going and she's trying to go as fast as she can because she wants to get off her shift and all that and finally i said Whoa, 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 stop, stop. Arrête. I said, arrête, arrête. She says, well, pourquoi? I says, give me that KY gel, huh, baby. <laughs> I did. She was kind of cute, too. Thank See, you, Dean. And Thank I you. greased that son bitch up, and I just said, that's it. And I almost <sighs> cried. I was just, ah, and the, And I'll remember this forever. She looks up, and she goes, Oh, you got it. <laughs> That's all she said. You got it. <laughs> yeah, I got it. See you later, honey. Have a good weekend. So uh, anyways. I remember that one. What else? What other? Yours? No, no, yours. Oh, mine? I know I got, uh, not an injury, but I, I caught laryngitis oh. in Alberta right before a shoot. And that was bad because we were ready. We were scheduled the next day. We were traveling to the next, like, Lesser Slave Lake. And uh, I remember that forever. That We went to the hospital then, too, and got me in there because we wanted to be... We Is that both. when we got evacuated that night? That's the same trip. Same I think that same right? trip. The flood came yep. and we, we got evacuated at like three o'clock yep. in the morning. We had to get that yeah. one. Yeah. But anyways, wow. that wasn't an injury, but it was a, a catastrophe because we yeah. had to go. And then we, we went, okay. The next day I was getting a little better. The next day I got all kinds of meds. And they uh, and we, so I said to Ange, okay, you carry the show and I'll just, every now and then I'll say, yeah, yeah, good one, buddy. <laughs> Stuff like that or whatever like that. We got away with it and yeah. we couldn't really tell, but it was... Uh, yeah, but yours is the best. My, my, if we're talking about the broken, uh, oh, yeah. the broken bones, yeah. Oh, yeah. That so was the broken we bone had one. just flown into um, a remote Airedale. Lodge. It was Airedale. an Airedale uh, location. Yeah, yeah. And uh, pilot dropped us off, and off he went. And I was it the same day? No, next morning. No, because we were next morning. Yeah. 
next morning, early next morning, I broke an ankle. And uh, I think we still had four or five days before the plane was coming back. So I kind of, uh, I had some, I was going to say I survived it, but I had some help. The local camp uh, dude. He brought, he brought out a bag of pills that would have blown your mind. I think you could have filled a pillowcase with the pills that this and, guy had. <laughs> from that day, we've always made sure to carry medication and and uh, I don't kit, think we have that kind of medication kit, no, that he had, but a kit, a uh, survival kit with us in case we get injured. But at that time, we weren't traveling with any. Thankfully, he had some medication oh, that helped thing. me through it because otherwise, I, I don't know. Yeah, we'd had a, a satellite phone and get yeah. you flown out of there because it was that yeah. bad. I mean, you're in a rem- we were in a remote spot where the plane <laughs> drops you off and says, "See you in three or four days or whatever it is," and then it's all of a sudden, boom, he snaps his ankle. So. The worst part about that, though, was that we were scheduled to get picked up from there and go into Betty McGee's place, Pine Portage, which was another fly-in. And so I was medicated all week. So for me, it didn't feel that bad. Jack was with us on that whole trip, wasn't he? Jack Summers from Radio World was with us. And it didn't feel that bad. So I said, you know what? The hell with it, guys. Let's just go from here right into Betty McGee's place, Piperage. The hell with it. I'll I'll tough it out. I'll be good. So that's what we did. And worst thing I could have done when I finally got out of there, it was a high uh, compound fracture, high up on the ankle, which are the worst ones you could possibly do. So I was in a one of those immobilizing Air cast or whatever. Uh, cast yeah, it was, it was big uh, forever to keep me from moving it. But yeah, that happened out in the field. I think that was the, the worst. The, the best is when we got to Betty's place. Oh my they, God. The dock she's is still, the, the dock is like 200, that, 200 eh? feet long. I'm yeah. not sure. It seems like 200 yards. It's the longest oh. dock in existence oh. in the North. Oh. For Without sure. Question. And the float plane, obviously the float plane comes at the very end of the dock and they tease it up to the end of the dock. So we got, Anson's got 200 feet to go just to get to, on ground. So they brought out a golf cart and said, oh. Him in the golf cart, and he carried the that gear and ends in the, and he go, he went around the golf cart the whole week, oh, yeah. back and forth, and couldn't couldn't walk. So it was, uh, oh my god, that was funny. And then we go, we had to stop at the Sault Ste. Marie Hospital, right after uh, we got out. Sault Ste. or Thunder Bay? No, Sault Ste. Marie. We were on our was way it? home. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways, it was a disaster, but that's the worst. Uh, I've had lots of uh, hooks. Oh, you used to be the that king. I've had to go the into king. hospital for several uh, times. Hooks on in location. your body parts. They just, the worst one though. The worst hook incident I ever had is on the Red River. You might not even recall. I was there. Were you there for that And your one? leg? Uh, no, my thumb. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. what had happened was um, we were using these big siwash hooks for these cats. These cats are massive. These are 20 to 30, 35. In fact, I caught a 35-pounder on that shoot. They're massive fish. And so you got these big, uh, big circle hook type of thing. And they are razor sharp. And so I got this cat and I got a pair of needle nose pliers and I've got, and the hook won't come out and I'm pushing down on, on the shank of the hook, maybe with the needle nose pliers. And I got my thumb kind of like that and I slipped and that sharp point ripped right through my thumb, right down to the bone. About an inch, an inch worth of gash. And I went to the hospital for that. That was a bad one, man. I remember that. But I finished the episode. I don't know if you remember that. That was in the middle of the that big 34-pound cat. Mm-hmm. So 
obviously we went to the hospital in um, Winnipeg. Yeah, I guess probably. that would make sense. Yeah, we were Selkirk is where yeah. we were, right? Yeah, we were in Selkirk and got all stitched up and bandaged up and came back and finished the episode with a Band-Aid on my thumb. And the only people who really notice it is us. When you see that episode, you'll see that I start Continuity. without a Band-Aid for the first part of the show, and then I got a Band-Aid at the That's end. That's so true. So it's kind of cool. Oh, good. But, uh, We've had lots of hook lot injuries, of for sure. Not, not lately, knock on no, wood. No, you're right. Knock on wood lately. We've been pretty good. Pretty you know what that is? Old age experience. We're getting better, buddy. Think about it. I'll take We're that. We're getting better. I'll take that. We didn't know. At the time, we were foolish young. We didn't know. Hook's all over yeah, the place. Yeah, we don't know. Flyers out of here. Oh, yeah. Shit. What the hell? Not now. The humble goldfish, everyone's favorite aquatic pet. It's small, easy to care for. What's there not to love? Even the cat may be mesmerized by the color and movements of your aquarium friends. Goldfish are great at home, but don't let them loose. Releasing goldfish or other domestic aquatic pets or plants into natural environments is harmful to both your pet and the planet. Goldfish disrupt ecosystems by outcompeting native species for food and resources in degraded habitats. They contribute to algae blooms, they kill aquatic wildlife, and pass viruses and diseases contracted in aquariums to wildfish. They could even live up to 40 years and grow as big as a football. Anglers, this is where you come in. If you find a goldfish at your local fishing spot, report it to the Invading Species Hotline or go online to eddmaps.com. Remember to never dump your live bait into the water and risk spreading other aquatic invaders. Keep our lakes free from invaders and don't let them loose. There's an adventure just outside these walls. It's something you'll hate to leave and can't wait to get back to. It's a place where memories are made and bonds are forged. For some, it's hitting the trails. For others, it's a weekend at the lake. It's a place full of campfires and quality time. This year, take some time to reconnect with friends, family, and nature. No matter what adventures await you, Coleman has the gear you need. Visit ColemanCanada.ca to gear up today. The outside is calling. Answer the call. Back in 2016, Frank and I had a vision to amass the single largest database of muskie angling education material anywhere in the world. Our dream was to harness the knowledge of this amazing community and share it with passionate anglers just like you. Thus, the Ugly Pike podcast was born and quickly grew to become one of the top fishing podcasts in North America. Step into the world of angling adventures and embrace the thrill of the catch with the Ugly Pike podcast. Join us on our quest to understand what makes us different as anglers and to uncover what it takes to go after the infamous fish of 10,000 casts. The Ugly Pike podcast isn't just about fishing. It's about creating a tight-knit community of passionate anglers who share the same love for the sport. Through laughter, through camaraderie, and an unwavering spirit of adventure, this podcast will bring people together. Subscribe now and never miss a moment of our angling adventures. Tight lines, everyone. Find Ugly Pike now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts.
All right, as promised, our good friend Ted Putnam on the program. Uh, he's been uh, on before. He is the owner um, of uh, arguably the best walleye fishery on the planet in terms of a small uh, lake. Yeah, and I yeah. use that uh, with reverence. Uh, yeah, no, it is. Hawk, Hawk Lake, to me, is one of the best walleye fisheries on the planet. And, and his lodge, Hawk Lake Lodge, is well, one of the best we're going to talk about that. Uh, welcome to the program, Teddy. Thanks, guys. Good to be back. Uh, nice to have you. Nice to have hey, you. Hey, you've just, been doing well? You just got some big redfish, some big bull reds, didn't you? Oh, man, I love catching 30-inch walleye, but when you catch 30-pound or 40-pound, you know, big bull reds, we had a great time down in southern Louisiana. What a blast. Just a blast. Nice. What, uh, what prompted nice. that? Was this a bucket list thing? or It's kind of a bucket list thing, and it was warm down there, and you know, fishing flats, uh, sight fishing for just monster fish. I've always wanted to do it, and, you know, JetBlue had a sale, and away I went. It was great. Nice. Before we get into the meat and potatoes, I, I've been dying to ask you, and I keep forgetting – did you, in your wildest dreams, and I want an honest answer here. Did you ever think that once you got rid of your captain and arguably your best, second best centerman on that team, oh. that, that they were going to go on another extraordinary run that might see them break another record? I'm talking about the Boston <laughs> Bruins, obviously. Of course you are. Yeah, I know that's kind of icing on the cake, right? We just thought this would be sort of a rebuilding year. Obviously, we got some great goalies, but it's been better than any of us could have expected, that's for sure. <laughs> I said, finally, the Leafs are going to kick some ass with the Bruins. <laughs> Thank God. Bergeron's gone. Oh, God. No kidding. Congratulations, Good luck man. Good for you. Yeah, you it's, be it's nice yourself. to be living in Boston. No kidding. <laughs> All right, so the reason Ted's here, we uh, did an episode. It was actually episode number, uh, Dean, correct, I know you'll correct me. Um, Dean is going to be, uh, episode 102. There you go. Come Thank on you. now. Thank you, Dean. Look at that. Um, we had an interesting episode, and that gentleman was on uh, more than just once as well. His name is Paul Radomsky, and he was an author of a great book called Walleye, A Beautiful Fish of the Dark. He's a fisheries biologist, correct? Or no? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. So there's some science uh, involved here, which is great. But he came on and, and said some profound things that were in the book that uh, at the time, if you watch, go back and watch that episode, you'll see that both Pete and I were like, what are you talking about? And it wasn't too far down the road where there, where a good buddy, uh, Ted Putnam reached out to us and said, what was that quack talking about? <laughs> he didn't call him a quack. He did. You yeah, made that up. There. You improvised. <laughs> he called him something. It, may, may, it might've been worse than quack, but anyways, uh, <laughs> He said, "Hey uh, Teddy, you just can't hold him back, can you? Hey buddy, a good no. story, Angelo, said, and a good story. What is that all about? You know, I've got field experience here that tells me that some of what uh, Paul wrote about and said is just not true. And so we said, well, let's get Teddy on the show and let's debate it. Let's talk about it. And, and we even <laughs> said on that episode, Ted, we know a guy who's got a body of water that might argue some of these facts about big fish." And uh, the the uh, uh, need for um, calling some of those big fish. So 
here's your your big opportunity. Tell us. Now, you've read the book, right? You've since gone out and bought the book and read it? I actually have since got out and bought the book, and I was skimming through it this weekend. Yes, there's some of the highlights. Uh, good book, very detailed. He's definitely done great work. So that was, that was I appreciate you letting me know where I could find it. That was good. But let me first start out. I am not a scientist. I have done any statistical analysis. I didn't go to school and get a PhD in, in biology or fisheries management. Uh, I'm just a lowly lodge owner. Uh, so what I have uh, really is kind of boots on the ground experience in a fishery for 26 years that I have tightly managed for 14 years. Uh, and what I found uh, maybe a little different than maybe what other people have uh, come up with in sort of theories and analyses. And I think it's actually very interesting. Some of the things that I found versus what are the, some of the things you were talking about on your last podcast. Okay. All right. So let's jump in. Let everybody, just for everybody, when we found out about Ted's Lake, we heard this is a pretty much a trophy only lake or, or or that's what you really go up for. Northwest Ontario, where Ted is, he's close to Kenora, he's close to the Lake of the Woods and that whole area. Normally that's known as, uh, as more numbers. People are, the first perception is there's giant fish there. And yeah, there are, but it's a place where you can catch two, 300, uh, 16, 18 inches in a day. Right. So that's the perception of when you hear a lake like Ted's where we, we talk to Ted and he says, Oh, we don't get a whole lot of those. We get a lot of big ones, a lot of trophies, a ton of trophies that are there. But so you got to remember that that's when we heard this, we said, Oh my God, we got to check this lake out for our first trip. And sure as hell we got there and we got giants and we didn't catch small ones. And what sold it for me, I watched uh, the Linder episode shot up there. Yeah. And uh, man, that, that put it over the top for me. So like Pete said, we had to, we had to come up and experience it. Now Pete said something interesting though, about a number of fish, people going into Northwestern Ontario, expecting hundred, 200 fish days, um, which are common, but I don't want to take away from the fact that, you know, Hawk Lake isn't the only big lake fishery up in northwestern Ontario. No, no. There are a number of other uh, lakes, and I think genetics may have a lot to do with it. In your case, I think it's a combination of genetics and really off-the-wall management, which is what you've done. Um, and to let the folks know what Ted has done with Hawk Lake is you don't keep anything. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Zero. Not even a shore lunch. There's no retention of fish on Hawk Lake. And because you're the only operator on the body of water, is that correct? Sure. And there's no public access either. No public access. which In, in the blows, summer. Which in the wintertime, they can access it, right? In the winter, you can get in. But I would yeah. argue that you can do a lot less damage over the ice than you can right. if you're fishing it all summer long yep. in, in, a, in a Pro-V. So uh, Paul uh, states in the book that, in fact, we as managers, fish managers, should maybe take a different approach to managing walleye lakes. And that is that, you know, maybe we should be taking out a few or some of the bigger fish and let the smaller fish grow that that mid-range population, which is important in his in his book. It's important to maintain a nice balanced system. That doesn't happen on Hawk Lake. Like, we've fished it now, I don't know how many times, four or five times. We've never caught a small walleye. That's correct. We have never not caught a small The smallest walleye, you? we probably caught a four-pounder to be our smallest. Maybe. It's like, Actually, whoa, well, where'd that would come? 
couple of things. We're actually catching tons of small walleye now, tons. And I've got the numbers to back that up, which is pretty cool. But let, let's go through you know, one thing at a time. Yeah. Your first comment was, or Paul's comment was, maybe it's a good idea to, to call some fish out based on whatever you want, slots or whatever. So you create a healthy fishery. And I just don't quite get that because let's just put this into a different perspective. 150 years ago, there was no one touching these fisheries. And I bet you the fisheries were doing just great. So it's only when man comes in and starts screwing around where now all of a sudden we're having these conversations. So I don't understand how the fishery was great before we showed up. And now that we've showed up, we need to start calling fish out so we can make it more healthy. That makes no sense to me at all. I don't quite get that. In my case, we, it's, completely hands off and the fishery has rebounded uh, exponentially far the uh, far exceeding my expectations and i've got some neat numbers to so we can talk about in different classes that i've been monitoring it's been really cool all right so you have zero retention on big fish small fish little in between fish etc cetera, etc cetera. is that every uh, species ted pike walleye smallmouth <laughs> lake trout whitefish everything Catch them, Bruce? Across the board. Across, across the board. board. Wow. Okay. Which, listen, it makes sense to me. Sure. It makes total sense to me. But I'll be honest with you, after, you know, this book came to light, you start questioning it. And certainly in other parts of the country, if not the province, uh, we're experimenting with different types of management tools. You know, you mentioned slot limits. Uh, th- there's all kinds of things. And, and not one sort of standard rule right now it's all over the I've map i've never right seen now. it like this before like, uh, i don't know ted if you know the canadian regs or the ontario regs where your lodge is in but there's so many different regs just in walleye alone and then you go to largemouth smallmouth you go to musk yeah every species is crazy so you really got to know your regs well it kind of makes sense because you can't really have one size fits all anyway exactly. i mean it's based on the region and the yeah. fishery exactly. and how much pressure it's getting so i think you need to be creative yep. in how you approach each each one of those fisheries uh, and go from there. Uh, you can't just make a blanket statement, and that's for the entire province. That would never work. Well, it, they tried that before. That's what it used to be, and now it used to be six across the board, right? right. Six walleye and Everywhere. all that. But now it's they've changed it, and thank God they did. You know what I mean? So You mentioned small fish. When did you start noticing these small fish? Uh, about four years ago, we started noticing them. And maybe you can answer this question, because I, I don't understand why. Uh, See that he said, really speaking of small fish, then he asked to, us, right? So yeah. He's not a small fish guy. Experts he's making fun. Fish. Yeah, we're experts yeah. of small fish. Well, no, 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 no. That's not what I mean. <laughs> In fact, we started getting into them actually after dark, after the, the typical big bite has turned off, about half an hour after sunset like all the little fish would start coming in. And I have no idea why that is. I'd love to talk to a biologist why that is. Maybe because uh, the big fish have now stopped their feeding and now the little fish can get into some of these schools of bait. I don't know. But I, we literally could go out and just hammer, you know, 12 oh. to 15 inch fish nonstop, you know, until either the bugs or, you know, uh, the darkness got to us. And so that was pretty cool. Or wow. you're sitting in that nice little narrows of yours at dusk yeah. and you just pounded 32 10 pound walleye. Maybe they're, they're done for the night, Ted, with all due respect. Okay. Maybe you got them, yeah. got them all. And now the little guys have got a chance. They got a, a chance to start feeding. It's possible too. Right? That is possible. Yeah. I, otherwise I would not I'm have an answer sure. to that. Like no. you would think they'd be the opposite. Those yes. big girls would be right in that prime time and, you know, dusk right into the dark, the first hour or two of dark. And then, okay, we'll rest for it. But obviously, that's not the, not the case on Hawk anyways, right? I read something some about that, about, you know, our perception of walleye is uh, low light, 
into dark and through the dark period and then back right up to that early morning light. But I read something recently that kind of dispels that. And the prime time is that dusk period as opposed yeah. to total darkness. Oh, so, I believe so that. There's something I believe out. that. One. I'll pull it out. I'll find it and I'll send it off to you, Ted. So it, it's an interesting read. You sure. know you know what else? Eric, I'm just going to go off a little bit here in location. This year, I noticed, especially when we're doing this, this late season trophy walleye fishing on the Adolphus Reach, midday is the absolute best for the big girls. As soon as it got to three o'clock and started to start, whoop, shut down, uh, Gandhi, I don't know, you could see some sense. stuff, it, it made no sense, <laughs> but in the middle of the day with sun, with, it didn't matter what, but, but that middle of the are day, these giants. The, the fish that are traveling or are these the local fish that you're talking oh, about? Oh no, these are the travelers. These are the travelers. The uh, so, spawners that are. Maybe maybe it's, it has to do with, with that migration, maybe during maybe, prime. Maybe, but they're sta- the, the screen on the Garmin stayed exactly the same. You know what I mean? We saw them after it was just exactly what we were trolling through earlier. Just they, they just didn't bite at wow. that perfect time in the wow. morning and in the evening. I have no that idea. That was bizarre. So the older I anyways, get, the less I know. There you um, go. <laughs> share with us, please, some numbers. I know you're dying to talk to us about well, that. Well, I'm not dying to, but I was, I mean, I obviously track all the trophy fish and I have for years and I use that obviously in marketing and the, the guys want to come catch thirties and we catch hundreds and hundreds of fish, 28 plus. But the last two years, I found something sort of interesting where we were catching a lot of 26s and 27s. And that excited me only for the for the reason that, in my opinion, they were much more fun to catch than a 30. I mean, they were screaming out line like a tarpon. They would hit like a freight train. And I was thinking to myself, wow, where did all these 26s come from? So now that I knew we were going to be on this program, I did a little research in terms of how old are our fish based on their size, certainly in Northern Ontario. And I found something that's got to be somewhat close where they say a 26 inch walleye in Northern Ontario is roughly 19 or 20 years old. Okay. Keep that in mind. 20 years old, just nice ballpark. Now, uh, the eaters, we typically think of eaters as around 17 inches, right? You know, the fillet's big enough to get a nice chunk. They're still pretty tender meat. Pretty good. Okay, an eater is around eight years old. Okay, so you got 20 and eight. Wow. If you do the math, that's 12 years, which is almost exactly when I went to 100% catch and release. So those 17-inch yeah. eaters, which we were not keeping and eating in 2011 and 2012, they are all 26, and there are hundreds of them. And, you know, that's not scientific analysis. That's just math. Uh, and I just I, I just did this today. It's like, well, that kind of makes sense. Look at all that. They've all grown up, and now we're catching fish. Couple that with the smaller fish, and, you know, it's a bonanza. Now, the other thing I found was um, – once they hit 29, 29 and a half, at least on my fishery, that's kind of end of life. That's a 28-year-old fish because what I found was over the last few years, we've averaged maybe 250 fish, 28 or 29 inches long. But once you hit 30, it just drops off a mountain. Like instead of uh, 230s, we caught 68 30s. And then we caught 40 31s, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not like those fish go into hiding. My fishermen are very good. Um, I think that's kind of the end of life. A 30-year-old walleye, I mean, that that's an ancient fish. Uh, but I also thought that was interesting as well. But my first point was, we did catch her at least literally 13 years ago, and now we're seeing those 13-inch fish grow up uh, to be really some beautiful uh, monsters. Mm. That's an that's, interesting, that's so cool. uh, some interesting numbers. So cool. Um, would Hawk Lake be a good representation 
of that whole northwestern band of lakes? Could this apply to, say, bigger bodies of water like Lac Sewell? Well, I, again, I'm not a scientist, but in my opinion, uh, I mean, it's 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 all really based on the food supply. If you got the food supply that can manage a, a fishery like this, then absolutely. Now, typically, a deeper lake will have more of a food supply because not only do you have you know the perch up top, but then you got the ciscos, you got the whitefish, and all the way down to the burbot which we have all of those. So we've got an amazing fish supply um, or fish food source. Right. So I don't, I don't see why it couldn't, um, but I'm really not the right person to ask. I'm just telling you the numbers that I've seen, it's exploded. It really has taken off and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of neat to see. What's the maximum depth of Hawk Lake? What do you got there for depth? Uh, I, have, I have charted 370 feet. Wow. Okay. So it's, yeah, you're definitely got Cisco base or, or smelter both or whatever, right? Along with minnows and perch and everything perch. else, I'm yep. assuming. Yeah. Wow. Sure. Interesting. And this big whitefish. I've seen whitefish is 10 or 12 pounds. It's, no a, it's a fascinating lake. And, and, and for those folks listening that uh, have no idea what we're talking about, uh, you got to go check out some of the episodes that we produced up there. And not only ours, but I, I mentioned Al. Uh, Linda was there a few times. He shot episodes mm-hmm. up there. Um, that's what we first found out. That's about what we first found out. What? Where's this you got to see what's going on up at, up at this Hawk Lake. It's, it's kind of spooky. I'll be honest with you. It, when you it look is. at it, you say, wait a minute, what's he doing? It's kind of an anomaly, isn't what's it? What's he doing? Yeah. I mean, because there are other well-managed lakes that we're uh, familiar with that have walleye that are not doing quite as well as you are on Hawk Lake. So I think it's a combination of great management. I think it's a it's genetically these fish that you've got are unique in my opinion. Totally unique. And and that might be running right across the board with 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 all uh, enclosed walleye lakes for all we know. You know each each gene pool might be totally different that will allow them if given the opportunity, because what you did is given me opportunity by having a, a no retention policy, if given the opportunity to feed and and lead a normal lifestyle, these fish will just grow and grow and grow. And, and I think that's part of it as well. But you do have a unique situation up there because, in all fairness to other people who manage their fishery, they don't have total control. One thing is you've got the lake to yourself. You don't have to worry about another operator or two doing different things to the fish than you are. Um, access to getting boats in there. That is kind of a unique situation yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, so I think you've like, you're checking off all the boxes with Hawk Lake. It's an extraordinary. Ex- and, and I did, I, I really want to use the word unique. Certainly we have never found anything quite that even our western bc uh, uh walleye oh, that's lake a, that's a bowl it's a bowl <laughs> but it's unique bowl. in that yeah. it has no access it has no yeah. pressure uh all that stuff but it's a totally different animal and it does not have as big a walleye as what ted has well we've only fished yeah. one tenth one hundredth yeah. of that lake right we yeah. go to the there and yeah, over yeah, there true, and then we're done true. and we actually catch a ton of big ones too but true. i just uh, you know what i think Hawk, there is something different about hawk. I don't know what it is. Like we said, none of, all three of us here aren't biologists, but there's definitely some. It's a perfect walleye lake it, in the sense of, you could say that a perfect walleye lake might not have four, 300 feet of water or something like that, but why not? You know, maybe it is the perfect walleye because it has that. But it, every in every sense, you just every time Ted sends you down to a, 
through a, a rock pile, down on a, uh, to a bay, around through the narrows and all that, it just opens up and you go, oh my God, we are in. The whole lake is so perfect for walleye. So, uh, I mean, maybe it is the ultimate setup for walleye between bait, between structure, between depth, who knows, you know what I mean? And it's just all working together with Ted and, uh, and you've got a great fishery. Getting back to the very, book. Very lucky, yes. Getting back to the book then, Ted. Uh, the yeah. book that Paul uh, Radomsky wrote, uh, authored. Um, are you disagreeing with? Are you just? Are you disagreeing with his whole uh, philosophy, or are you just saying, "Hey, that's well and good. Maybe that's the majority of lakes can uh, be ruled by those those thought processes." But but my lake, Hawk Lake, is different. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Am I disagreeing with his entire philosophy? No, absolutely not. I, I think that a lot of uh, his hard work analysis uh, is based on lakes that have pressure and we're fishing and have been for decades. And now what do we do to try to save some of these lakes? And I, I think he's spot on. Absolutely. Uh, you, we've got to try different things. It's not a one size fits all. Uh, and all, all these biologists uh, are trying to do the same thing. Uh, I am not disagreeing with any of that at all. I guess what I found is in this unique situation that I have, I just put this experiment into the place and the numbers sort of speak for themselves. Um, I think if you take away all the fishermen, uh, we've got great fisheries all over the place where, where you get into some conundrums is when you add fishermen into the mix, all of a sudden it all goes to hell and we have to decide how to address it. And it's, it's not one size fits all. Everybody water is different. How hard is it getting fish? What's the base supply, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, by no means am I disagreeing with anything. In fact, I, I believe uh, he said that uh, there are different ways to uh, uh, that you can apply a fishery uh, management technique and get different results. Uh, and I think that's very smart. Yeah. Um, of interest too, you mentioned wherever you have fishermen. First of all, do you have a number that you could share with us? Um, can you give us an idea of how many human beings would be on your lake in a one year period per season? You mean, you mean Anglers. just my fishermen? Yep. Uh, I book around 1500 nights more or less per summer. So, so that's 1500 people? fishing fisher or fishing nights. So let's say that's two, 400 people at four nights, four nights per person. So three okay. to 400 people are fishing my lakes in the summer. More, three more or less. That's pretty, that's ballpark. And, and yeah. the, reason, the reason I mentioned that, uh, you know, we, we, sometimes you have to bring it into perspective. Um, because even maybe, and, and you, you'll probably disagree with this, but maybe a number like that, even if the management isn't quite as tight as yours, those fish would do well. Anyways, we're dealing with lakes down here where they would get, and I'm, I'm talking about <laughs> Lake Scugog as an example where they would get that kind of pressure in a day. Yeah. Day or a weekend. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> sure. For sure. In a weekend, but probably in a day. And lo and behold, we've had to shut that lake down. That lake now is complete. And it used to be a walleye factory. It was when I was growing up, Lake Scugog was a walleye factory. You could not go near that lake without making contact with a walleye. And, right. uh, but, but then, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's a half hour, maybe 45 minutes away from 6 million people. 
And so obviously it's got overfished and, and, and to the point where they had to shut it down uh, years ago and it's still shut down. Nothing's changed because of the pressure. It's right, the pressure. Right, it's, right. it's really that simple. And uh, it was a Gord Pizer or someone else, you know, who you had on your show who said catch and release fishing has a mortality rate of eight to 10%. So just do the math. Right. If you've got 400 people a day on a lake like that, even if they're throwing everyone back, yeah. they're still killing a lot of fish unbeknownst to them. And yeah. just think of the damage mm-hmm. that, oh, us fishermen can do so, whether we want to do it or know yeah. it or not. It's a great point. And, and so basically Hawk Lake, and we keep going back to this magic little piece of water called, uh, you know, Hawk Lake and Hawk Lake Lodge. I think it's the perfect storm. You know, I think it's uh, remote enough from the big population base it has um very uh, is a lack of access for the general public uh it has a brilliant manager who who controls the fishery and very little pressure and i think when you put all of those into it and you stir it all up in a pot you end up with this crazy, bizarre world. I mean, it's sort of way I can describe it, where you go out there, you're pretty confident that you're going to get close to double-digit walleye pretty much every time out, which doesn't happen in the real world, Ted. I don't know whether you know that or not. <laughs> so, no, trust me, I get it. I, I realize that we are very blessed. I, I definitely oh, realize and I appreciate that. It's, uh, hey, Teddy, it's a question for you. Have you ever been up at the lodge? You, may, you probably have because it's later up there. Have you ever run up in the lodge when the walleye spawn is on and you're out there with the flashlight at night, just looking around and seeing how, how many fish are, you know, on the shores, on the shoals, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, every spring I'm there when the walleye spawn is on, of course, because oh, yeah? we're, we're ripping across the lakes, getting all the outlakes. We have 22 other lakes we got to get to. Right. And you don't have to be out there at night. I mean, the males are all over those humps and shores, like all over the place. It's pretty neat. Yeah. And then you go out in the, go out in the evening and the females creep up there. Uh, I mean, no one will believe this, uh, but um, one person had a 40 to their boat, and I totally believe that. But we saw a fish uh, that we swore was like a massive pike on one of these spawning reefs, and we looked close, and it was a walleye, and that wow. was way upper 30s. And we've, we've also, wow. not we, uh, a person actually has caught a 37 out of our lake, so I know they're there. It's right. a rare, rare fish. But it's neat to see, like, like it's like you're in a in an aquarium right and the fish are just all over the place i want nothing to do with you which is fine you don't want to be catching those fish anyway yeah. uh, because sometimes based on the ice out uh walleye season can open and they're still really haven't spawned yet right so you got to be careful right, right but it's right. neat to watch in crystal clear water where they're just all over the place just like you're in a bass pro or cabela's wow yeah. have, have you noticed through <laughs> the years there's better years or is it always pretty consistent uh in the spawn in terms of numbers? Yeah, just seeing them, you know, being mesmerized. It seems pretty consistent. Honestly, we're, we're so slammed with work that we don't sit there for hours and then doing counts like they do in the salmon hatcheries or fisheries. Right. So it seems pretty consistent. And my guides get a kick out of going out and kind of looking at it and taking yeah. pictures. And yeah. we've gotten the underwater drone out and gone gone in, which is kind of neat. It's pretty cool. Ted, you mentioned pike a moment ago. Uh, you know, one thing that we uh, – I don't even – did we ever, have we ever caught a pike? I had a question on here. Why have we never caught a northern pike, big or small, well, on Hawk Lake? Because he just said something <laughs> that just went off in my head. We've never made contact with pike there. We know that we've heard of pike living there. But I just wonder, because normally in an environment that has pike in it, they tend to dominate quite a bit. And you're like, that's not the case. And I'm just wondering, 
if it's not because of the size of your walleye, are these big 25, 26, 27 inch walleye that are obviously there's a ton of, are they keeping pike in check? Do you think? That's a good question. I mean, that might be part of it. I mean, the other part is we've got so much other food that the pike are, wow. pike are going after. I mean, if a perch doesn't make it past their sixth birthday, they're done. So they, the Cisco's <laughs> are everywhere. The pike are eating big, big whitefish. So right. I think there's just a buffet out there. Now, if this was just a pike bass walleye lake, I think there may be a lot more competition and they would be really going after those walleye. Um, but I haven't really noticed that. Now we have pike. A big pike for us is over 40, but we catch, you know, maybe a few dozen over 40. Most of them are mid thirties. Um, we have better pike. pike lakes on the on our sort of out lakes to go fish uh, for whatever reason it's better um, but we have pike most people aren't targeting pike if you want pike go to northern Saskatchewan and just northern Manitoba and tear it up interrupt this program to bring you the much anticipated bonus code for the latest Fishing Canada giveaways. This week's code is LAKER all caps L-A-K-E-R LAKER aka the lowly old gray lake trout. Just type that in the bonus code section of the contest and receive 100 free entries towards all of our current giveaways. For those of you who aren't in here yet, what are you waiting for? Head over to FishingCanada.com while you're listening to the rest of this episode. Click Contests and sign up for all the latest Fishing Canada giveaways. And now, back to the episode. What, speaking of Pike, give us a, the, of your recollection, the biggest walleye from, you, from your lodge people or you, Pike and Lake Trout, let's say. What are the, what are the three? And Smallmouth. What do you think? Well, the biggest walleye came out, it was caught by, not by one of our guests. It was a guest that was here years ago, but they were on their own. That was a 37-inch walleye. Biggest pike I've ever seen is, I think, 48. Wow. Lake trout. I mean, we don't, we don't get big lake trout. A big lake trout for us is, you know, a 30-inch lake trout. But they're a lot of fun. You can catch them all summer. You know, get out with your graph and, you know, jig for them in 80 right. feet of water. It's kind of, a, kind of a blast. You can mix it up. Yeah, yeah. Smallmouth? How big is Smalley? The biggest one? Uh, smallmouth uh, went 8, 11. Oh, my God. Oh, you got a mountain. That's very unusual. You're not going to catch right? eight-pound smallmouth, guys. Slow yeah. down. No. Relax. <laughs> <laughs> we know, buddy. We know. We never have. So That's what Probably I mean. There's something about that body of water. That that, that walleye, yeah. by the way, that Ted's talking about, that 37, that's a 17, 18, at least 18-pound fish probably, or bigger maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Did they say a weight? The 37, I think, uh, just went over 19 pounds. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. Again, not, not my... Guest fish, but it was a yeah. uh, people that had fished the lake before, yeah. uh, and they're very secretive, and I appreciate that. But it was a beautiful fish, uh, and the picture was amazing. My God, that's big. That's just, that's I just think there's something in the water, man. I don't care what you say. I think you're you're putting you're putting something in there. You're not telling us. <laughs> it's got to be. I wish it were that easy. It's Teddy's big balls dragging in the water because you got the balls to say catch and release only, people. No, no keeping anything. <laughs> I uh, all right. We've taken a turn. You must. You must talk to a lot of. Uh, I know you go to the tourism shows and whatnot. Uh, you must talk to a lot of your peers about, or or maybe not. Do they talk to you? about your management practices do you get other operators saying hey teddy you keep i keep hearing about this hawk lake and hawk lake lodge and and how you manage it like is there anything you could tell me that maybe i could use on my lake as well do you get that or, or are they pretty much standoffish when it comes to that 
<laughs> yeah, oh, okay. that was like three questions in one a couple yeah. things we actually just won the conservation award for noto for this year so we're pretty proud of that for our conservation practices yes. um congrats after, when, I, when i first started like i was getting a lot of strange looks like log owners like dude what are you doing this is ridiculous we, we need shore lunches my, my guests will never do this no way um but now that we're in year 14 or 15 they're they're more receptive i think what I've heard is they're just nervous about alienating a part of their clientele that has always caught and kept fish. You can't blame them. And I kind of pissed off a few of my clients who wanted to keep fish and bring them home. So they think they're nervous. And as you just said, uh, Ange, you know, it takes some big balls or you just got to you just got to do it. You got to rip off the Band-Aid and do it and think about longer term. Don't not the first couple of years you're going to lose a little business. Once those fish grow up, I guarantee you, you're going to get 10 times the business for someone that's going to be able to catch a nice big fish. Um, but that's to each his own. Um I know people are nervous and it, it's, it's not common. Uh, it's, but I think people are paying a little more attention now, which is good because you got to think of this fishery 10 years down the road. Have you ever had uh, biologists or anybody like that ask you about your, you know, what you've got in place there? Honestly, I never have. And that kind of makes me sad. No yeah. I think it's kind of a neat, neat, neat case. It's yeah. a neat example they of should, something should, that kind of works. They should be yeah. digging in. So if you know anybody, send them my way. Well, I was going to say, if anybody's listening that is with, even with MNR or any body such as that, I highly recommend that you at least reach out to this man and ask him some pertinent questions that may help us better manage some of our other fisheries. Right. Cause I was just thinking, as you were talking about people being nervous about converting their lodges to total release fishery, could you imagine what would happen over, say, I don't know how many years it would take. Well, how many years did it take? First of all, before I go on, can you bring us back to 14 years ago when you first decided you woke up one morning and said, yeah, I'm going to do it. How long did it take you to establish yourself? You mean how long did it take to make the decision or how long did no. it take to implement the decision? To, to implement and see results. Well, it was implemented instantly. It was yes or no. I, you, you can't be a little bit pregnant. You either do it or you don't. Right. So we did it right off the back. That was, I'm pretty sure, my first year, which was 2011, my first summer. Right. We started seeing results within the first six years, yeah. which makes sense because that means the 17 inches are now 22, 23, 24. Right. Uh, so within the first five or six years, but it was sort of a, an exponential curve. Once we hit about year nine or 10, then all of a sudden the big fish were getting bigger and the smaller fish were coming back. And it just sort of, it all flourished almost all at once. The last three years, and it was really too bad because we had COVID, like it was just awesome. And we were just crushing it. And I was just really hoping wow. my guests could experience it, but, but now they can. Did you, Ted, did you buy the lodge or did you build the lodge? Like, was there somebody there before you and you took it over? Oh, yeah. You know, the, the lodge was built. Well, it was built as a private place in the mid fifties. It was turned into a lodge in the mid eighties. I'm the third lodge owner. Okay, so, so the had, lodge has been in existence since the mid '80s. Okay, so they had catch and keep and get and eat and all that stuff, and yes. that's why you probably came to that decision of, hey, we should do something different. I'm assuming, right? Yeah, I just, I mean, once I caught my first thirty, you know, I was like, wow, this is really cool. Let's keep doing it, and again, I'm. Yeah. I, so honestly, it, it was kind of a shot in the dark, but it, uh, I think I, I think I hit the bullseye. You did. I was gonna say you though did. earlier. So, can you imagine if? obviously not all, but a large portion of the operators decided, you know what, if he can do it, 
I can do it too. You can do it. We and can they, do it. for the next five or six years, went to a total release policy at some of these places. Could you imagine the fishery that we would discover in this part of the world? I mean, it would be it would be it'd be insane. But I'll tell you what: the the, the average clientele out won't there do won't do it because Ted's clientele says, "You know what? I want to catch a 26, 27, 32 inch walleye. That's what I'm going up there for. I know I can have shore lunch, so I'm just going to go there yeah. and try and crack a big one or two or three. The majority of clients, as we see in all these other lodges, their favorite part of it is shore, is shore lunch, eating them up, and maybe even taking yeah. some home with you. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. it'd be a hard one, you know, to uh, to, to take uh, change in all the lodges. That's for sure. So, yeah. right. I'd like to see more of them do it, though, buddy. Yeah, it'd be cool. That's for sure. It can happen. Ted shows you it can happen. Yeah. Right. As long as you got a good Esnagi Lake, it's a perfect lake. Well, they have got a decent catch and release uh, policy in there now. Yeah. Right. Lodge eighty eight doesn't. I'm sure they didn't used to have. No, they didn't. So right. they've they've taken a, a step forward, and yeah. you know what? It's going to take some time. You watch that lake's going to start cracking some big ones again. A lot of big ones again very soon. Uh, weather changes. Are you concerned at all? Um, about hot like weather. global warming or yeah, something well, this I mean, weekend. I mean, obviously, <laughs> I mean overall, we've had some uh, pretty crazy weather patterns in, in this part of the world. Anyways, I don't know about up there uh, in northwestern Ontario, but if you have noticed weather changes, you know, even if it's two or three degrees, is there any concern uh, from your part that it may at some point affect your fishery? Well, of course, there's always concern. And here's where I am out of my element. I'm certainly am not a biologist and how that's going to affect the, the water conditions and concentrated oxygen levels, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, right now, I haven't really seen any changes. It's a deep lake, so there's plenty of cool water. Right. Uh, the bait fish are, you know, can, can go below that thermocline for sure, or certainly around that thermocline where there's a, a high concentration of, of oxygen just above it. Uh, I don't think it's an issue, but I really wouldn't want to be here in 40 years. I think our next generation is going to have have a reckoning to do, and it's kind of sad in my opinion. It's going to be tough. Yeah. Mm. Good point. Teddy, have you ever, speaking of weather, have you or any of your guides or any of your friends or whatever ever ice fished on Hawk Lake? Wow. Honestly, once. One time I got up there in like late April, we still had a foot of ice and I ice fished and I guess they call it ice drinking up there where you just dig a hole and look at the hole the whole time. I mean, it really didn't appeal to me all that much. Um, but I guess if there's nothing else to do in the middle of nowhere, I could see where it's fun. You get a couch, you get your TV, your food, you do a little fishing. So the quick answer is no, but if I lived half an hour from there, I'd be out there ice fishing every weekend. Absolutely. Right. I think that'd be, uh, because now there's no one on the lakes for the most part. I, I bet you there's some monsters coming up, especially oh. the burbot too. I guess the burbot fishing gets really good in the winter. Yeah, it does. Uh, that's yeah. what all my guides tell all, all my guides tell me. So that would yeah. be pretty fun. Hmm. Uh, quickly, before we let you go, give folks an idea of Hawk Lake Lodge. <laughs> what are they apt to expect when they come up there? What, uh, what, uh, what do you offer that they need to know about? Well, I mean, unlike uh, many of other places where we're very high end, we're pricey, but with that price, it comes service. You know, it's open bar with wine cellars and every cabin has a private hot tub. Uh, we only have 20 to 25 people a night. There are more staff uh, than we actually have people. We have, you know, 18 to 19 staff. Uh, it's top notch. We have a Cordon Bleu chef. We've got 22 private lakes. So every day you're the only boat on that water, which is pretty cool. You get to mix it up. Uh, you know, we, we, we went in a different direction. 
production uh, to be higher end. And that coupled with the fishing, which has sort of exploded, it's sort of, uh, it's been fishing nirvana. That's for sure. I told <laughs> a, a person one time that asked me about it, uh, the best way I could describe it to him was, think of this as the crew, high-end cruise ships of fishing lodges. <laughs> he said, what do you mean? I said, just think about yeah. that. Open yeah. bar, happy hour, uh, hot tubs, uh, all the wonderful amenities that you think of a cruise ship and throw in a bonus that you can go out at any time during your stay and probably are in <laughs> a real good position to land yourself a double digit walleye every time. Out. So, so true. So that's, true. What it, that's what I see it as a cruise ship. The food is the same Absolutely. as being on a cruise ship. So one of our, uh, one of the best. And just to be clear, we're not just a walleye fishing. We're actually got famous for being a smallmouth. Oh fishery. my God. They're smallmouth right? fishing. Small fishing's off the charts. Smallmouth so fishing's people go, go smallmouth fishing yeah. and then catch thirties at night. Yeah, yeah. One thing I'm intrigued about, and before I hang it up, I'm going to come up to Hawk Lake Lodge Uh-oh. and just for smallmouth bass, because I think we talked about it on this program last year, last time you were here. One uh, evening when we were coming back from oh, yeah. the other part of the lake, walleye fishing, we came through the narrows, and just as we turned to come towards the lodge, off to the left hand side, there's a little point, and we saw the biggest school of smallmouth on the <laughs> surface thrashing around. You could tell they were smallmouth because most of the time they were out of the water, and you could see that black silhouette. And and they were just thrashing, thrashing at something. Cisco, probably Cisco. And then I asked you about it, and that's what yep. you said. That happens. Oh yeah, that happens there every night. I want it to happens come back. every night. It's a blast. I want it's to really come fun. back there and throw some <laughs> some twitch baits and uh, just have a blast. Some topwater baits, any oh, of that yeah. stuff. Oh my be god! A riot. Could you imagine? Oh, imagine! Oh my god! That'd be cool. Yeah, that come up in June. Great. Actually, uh, Al Linder was coming up in this June. We're actually finishing finalizing his dates right now. So, be kind of cool to have these two old uh, gentlemen in the lodge at the same time. Oh, yeah. you're talking about the the Linders, not us. Old. Oh no, not you. No, not you. Anyways, Ted, always a pleasure having you on, my friend. Uh, it's a blast. Thank you for uh, being uh, our uh, in-house book reviewer. And yeah. reviewing the uh, <laughs> walleye, a beautiful fish of, of the dark for us. Um, Me and Oprah. You and Oprah. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. That's, that's it. And uh, go <laughs> Bruins, go. I, it's not our year. If anybody, I'd rather have you win than anybody else. So there you go. Wow. Okay. Guys, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure, my friend. See you, Teddy. Ted Putnam, uh, Hawk Lake Lodge, Hawk Lake, Ontario, walleye mecca. I was going to say there, one of the, my favorite parts of Hawk Lake Lodge is, is at the end of the day, a fishing day, happy hour, oh, you're having a drink on the, the deck, best. and you're having a nice cigar with oh, that drink on oh. the deck before supper, and you know, talking uh, to everybody else's fish stories. It honestly gets no better, people. And they all honestly. have a great fish story, they and you all. know that they're not lying to you. You got a 29, because- and you don't have the biggest <laughs> fish of the day. You're thinking, oh, no, who's going to beat me now? <laughs> it was a great operation. It's not for everybody. Uh, it is, as Ted just mentioned, it is high end. Yep. And when you look at those prices, you say, ouch, but once in a lifetime, you deserve it. Mm-hmm. For Bucket sure. lister. Uh, for no sure. question about it. Uh, what else we got? It's the uh, time to, to sign off. I want to remind everybody once again, uh, fishingcanada.com, the gateway, the portal to your next fishing adventure is loaded with all kinds of goodies. That we're giving away. New contest starting up. The, uh, it's already I, going. I don't know if I can throw he, this out there, gone. but I'm going to throw it out there. I heard that we are soon going to have a Prince Craft boat motor and 
Mercury boat, motor, trailer, and uh, Mercury Princecraft uh, products giving. Away. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure we have at least one of those. At least one of those going on there. So there may be more than one. There is. You never know. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> there is. There's a couple of them for sure. Woo! Uh, also the store. I mean, hey. Hey. Knows, look at. Hey now. Look what I'm talking about here. Even Dean's got it on. Even Dean, Dean, the Come dancing on, machine. Vova doesn't. Uh, no, he doesn't participate in that. Vova's on his own. There. Well, he's, he's very stylish. He's like a European stylish, right? We have uh, to. We have to get a European cut uh, fish in Canada. Art girl swag. I think we should have Vova on the show. On the Fish and Canada Show or the Outdoor Journal uh, Radio Podcast? I think we should have him on this radio uh, uh, podcast uh, platform first. And then... Put him on the show? Then I think he should uh, jump in front of the camera. He'll tell show. you that you're going to have to shoot it. You know that you're going to have to get that uh, Sony camera all working to the perfection too, right? Not to... Not to... Not to... Not to belittle his came, skills, No, no, right? this just came to mind. I just had a meeting, as you know, uh, downtown with a professional... Um, today Person, yes. and when it was all said and done i said by the way if you ever want to go and he he doesn't know me from adam just so that you know okay and i said if you ever want to go fishing uh you know i can hook you up it's fishing what would i want to do that for he, he says so i'm a vegetarian i said okay wow okay so, right so there, you're a vegetarian no no okay. i said so you're a vegetarian what does that have to do with fishing you can't go out and fish without consuming he says, you guys do that? Like, he was completely, like, like he gave me this face. Says, you guys actually do that? So he was literally clueless to that going on in this yeah, world. Yeah. Wow. And the reason I think it would be interesting to have Vova on the Fish in Canada show is because it would be an interesting point of view to find out what goes through his mind. Well, I know Bobo was that. very excited when his first time at BC, I remember him trying I, to catch fish. and He was fishing. He was fishing. He he was fishing. I've seen him with it. With he a, loved uh, it. Yeah. So, yeah. so he's, he's definitely, uh, but, let's try it out. So Bobo's our cameraman, for those of you who don't know, uh, both here on this show and the Fishing Cannon Show. And with that in mind, I, I think it's time we uh, signed off. Mr. Bowman, unless you sure. have something else that you want to throw No, up I in? think we're good. We did okay. everything, uh, .com and all that stuff. On so behalf we're... of uh, the entire Outdoor Journal Radio podcast team, uh, Bowman. Come on uh, now. Nick, who is somewhere. Uh, Dean and Taylor back. Give me a hell board. yeah. Uh, Mr. Bowman. I'm Angelo Viola. Thanks for joining us, folks. We'll talk to you next time.